Today's episode of the Film State Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Here they come again, mm-hmm. catch us if you can, mm-hmm. time to get a move on, mm-hmm. we were young with all of our life. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Hello. We also have Bill Graham. Woo, 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 woo. And a special guest with us here today in order to review Steven Spielberg's 2002 film, Catch Me If You Can, it's Neil Bahadur. Here we are. Talking about uh, again another classic episode because uh, it's it's still uh, a shit show out there in the world at large, and we are here today to talk about again Catch Me If You Can, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's collaboration with Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Before we get into that, the usual stuff. Find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook The Film Stage Show. Give us a comment and rating on iTunes. Email us podcastthefilmstage.com. You can become a patron of this here show by going to patreon.com slash show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our Slack channel and first crack at all of our raffles and such. We are also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new film to watch and enjoy. One of the films that they have just added to their slate is Beanpole, 2019 film. The synopsis is as follows. 1945 Leningrad, World War II, has devastated the city, demolished its buildings, and leaving its citizens in tatters physically and mentally. Two young women, uh, Ia and Masha, search for meaning and hope in the struggle to rebuild their lives amongst the ruins. This, in addition... To The Last Laugh by F.W. Murnau, who is also on there. And all three parts of Dead Souls. There's a whole bunch of other great stuff on there. Michael Snydell, I forget, did you ever get down to watching uh, Southland Tales? No, it's gone uh, (laughs) by the end of tonight. Let's just... Yeah, let's say I, I tried watching that and was expecting expecting something more wacky and was surprised how soberly it it, it started. <laughs> but I'm gonna I don't know I might get to it tonight or I won't <laughs> or you won't. Um, another high profile movie that our listeners may know that is currently on there: A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night by Anna Lily Amirpour, 2014. Um, if you would like a free 30-day trial of movie, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, now that we've gone through all that, it's time for our coronavirus quarantine corner where we can Ooh. update the people at home on how we're doing, give an insight into our lives as we deal with all of this stuff that is going on. Let us begin with our guest, Neil Bahadur. Yeah, how, how, is the, how is the coronavirus yeah. affected your life? How are you doing? Um, I personally, I'm not nothing to complain about. Uh, obviously, it could be, I, mean, I think, you know, it could be worse. I mean, not, I don't know how to put that actually, but maybe, but for me personally, I just kind of, I stay in a lot. I, right and i just kind of 
teach myself how to play the piano and that's kind of it is that going well i i but, you know there's a kind of I, I used to play the cello and i like there's a part of me that kind of wishes i still had my cello oh, nice yeah so is is the piano going well well i used to play it when i was a kid and then it kind of stopped and then i always kind of wanted to get back to it and then now i have so <laughs> yeah awesome yeah it's been it's just been fun well, you good. people with productive quarantine hobbies are making me feel bad. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I'm just out here making life-saving hand sanitizer for both people oh, and institutions. So, Michael Snydell, I don't oh, mean to right. make you feel bad, <laughs> but... <laughs> I thought you were humble. What happened to that, Brian? Bring that back. <laughs> no. Um, speaking of humble places, Michael Snydell, how are things in Chicago? I hear it's still terrible there. Um, it's still terrible here. And yeah, I've just, I've just become so neurotic about, uh, about like, I've been one of those people where I'll like, you know, come out of my cave and go downstairs and I'll be like, why, why doesn't that person have a, have a mask? And I'm not saying it to them or anything, but I'm just like, you know, uh, saying it under my breath, like, uh, like the cantankerous hermit that I'm just you know, fully embracing that identity. Good times. <laughs> Have you done anything interesting at all? Have you learned to play any kind of instrument or are you just like letting your toenails grow really long? Um, I, I just want to, you know, I actually looked down at my toenails when you asked me that question. <laughs> um, n- no, I, I haven't really done anything interesting. <laughs> Fantastic. Bill Graham, how are things down in the Dallas area? Things are good. Things are good. Uh, we decided to open some of our businesses on uh, Friday. I'm sure that was a shit show. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Otherwise, uh, my favorite taco joint is still closed. Uh, very <laughs> sad about that. Um, trying to get uh, one of these comic book stores to open up so I can go buy some comics from them because I'm not buying them from Amazon. Uh, other than that, everything's, everything's pretty, pretty decent over here. It's, it's not too hot. Weather hasn't, hasn't hit us too hard. So yeah. Well, that's, that's good. good. Well, good for you. Yeah. So what did they, what did they selectively open? I, I I'm curious. Uh, restaurants were open to 25% capacity, which basically means a lot of the restaurants were like, uh, fuck that. <laughs> we cannot do that. Um, malls were opened. Uh, again, really? to 25% capacity in some, I don't know how they regulated that. Um, yeah, and that then seems a difficult other, considering that yeah. malls have like multiple ingress and egress <laughs> points. Yeah, I think I think mainly that was inside your stores. So individual stores had to probably uh, adhere to social distancing, whereas, you know, probably line up outside of the door i'm sure the apple store was was a fucking madhouse so um well you know. uh but yeah so that's that's how things are going um gyms and uh i think hair salons and a couple of other things are sure. uh going to be down the line so we'll see um but yeah other than that <laughs> not, not a whole lot going on here <laughs> Yeah, things have stalled pretty much everywhere. Um, my distillery is finally giving out the hand sanitizer that we were able to produce for free through our fundraiser. So if you were listening and gave to that, thank you so much. If you have not That's yet, good. then uh, go to schmidtspirits.com, S-H, 
M-I-D-T-S-P-R-P-I-R-I-T-S.com. I don't know why I had so much trouble spelling that. Um, Schmidtspirits.com. You'll find a link to our GoFundMe and you can help us to give out free hand sanitizer in our area. Uh, we gave it out at our distillery and we also gave it out at a local farmer's market and a local food pantry that, as you can imagine, is doing a lot more uh, giving now that so many people are out of work. So hopefully yeah. we'll be able to keep doing that. And uh, yeah, other than that, basically just uh, trying to keep me and my daughter alive, doing That's my job. Good. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Good for you. <laughs> it's just it's, it's so much. It was, it's funny because like, the, f- the first couple weeks of this were like, oh my God, everything's crazy. Can you believe it? And now it's weird how much of it has become routine. Right, right, yeah. That was kind of inevitable, I think. Yeah. Just the just get used to it naturally, right? Yep. So yeah. someone someone said something funny the other day. They said uh the preparation I've done for video games to get ready to go to like a store or something like that, they're like I had to jump through a lot more or a lot more hoops in lo- in real life <laughs> recently. Just oh, like shit. <laughs> putting on the the gloves, putting on the mask, put you know, making sure the social distancing, yeah. and it's just like, oh shit! Like there, there's a lot to go into this. And then you know, the, yeah. the age old question no, for now is, oh, okay, I got all my groceries. Now what do I do with them? Do I cook them? Just do I just keep them in there for three days? Maybe the non-perishables? Do I wipe every single thing down? Oh, God. Uh, are people doing that? Oh, yeah. That's what we do. Oh, man. <laughs> that sounds like hell. Um, I'm just yes. – I'm being cautious but not crazy. Um, yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I'm, I could go nuts. Like I could set up like an isolation chamber where I just leave my food <laughs> for three days. But I'm not doing that. Um so yeah, that's that's our COVID corner update. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, everyone else listening is being safe and smart. And I don't know. I hope that at some point soon we can start to get back to some shade of slight normalcy. But uh, we'll sure. see. Uh, we'll see. I got a. I finally got like a professionally made cloth mask today. And a dude in Target, when I went to Target real quick, asked me where I got it, and I felt weirdly proud. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. What what makes it professionally made? I don't know. I had to buy it from someone who us presumably like used a sewing machine. Because <laughs> my previous one was just I like cut five inches off of an old T-shirt I didn't wear anymore, and then just tied it behind the back of my head. There you go. But this one's yeah. got like elastic bands and shit. Whoa! I know it goes around my ears. I'm sure I look like a complete utter idiot. But anyway, that's not totally what we're here to talk about. We are here today. To talk about Catch Me If You Can, again, the 2002 film from director Steven Spielberg, based on the book by Frank Agnale Jr., uh, screenplay by Jeff Nathanson. Uh, this movie stars a bevy of people, most uh, notably Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, and Christopher Walken, and I'm sure we'll get into all the other amazing, uh, either famous people or soon-to-be-famous people who starred in this movie as we talk about it. So here is a clip from the trailer. Welcome to Miami Mutual Bank. How may I help you? I'd like to cash this check here, and then I'd like to take you out for a steak dinner. (laughs) Are you a real-life pilot? I sure am, little lady. The jump seat is open. 
It's been a while since I've done this. Which one's the jump seat again? This is irrefutable evidence that the defendant is lying. Special Agent Hanratty, FBI. Hello, Carl. You're gonna get caught. It's like Vegas. Alright. That's the trailer for Catch Me If You Can. This film is about Frank Abagnale Jr., a con man who traipses across the country, pursued by Carl Hanratty, played by Tom Hanks. He is a high school student who pretends to be a pilot, a lawyer, a doctor, amongst many other things. And uh, we're here to talk about it. So, um, since this is a classic review, we're not going to really adhere to the concept of spoilers. Um, I presume that the further we get in, the greater the chances that we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. So, if you haven't seen this movie yet, I don't know why you're listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) So, just be aware. All right. Let's dive right in. Neil Bahadur. Yeah, it's it's me. What are your thoughts (laughs) on Catch Me If You Can? Oh, man. There's there's a lot. (laughs) Um, It's a... How do I start this? I don't know. Like what was this? so? I've, I'm curious. I guess did we did you see this in the theater or is this one that you caught later? Like, what's your history with this oh, movie? Um, I saw it probably when I was like, I didn't see it in the theater, but I would have been maybe 15 or so when I saw it because I got I had the DVD of it, but I wasn't that crazy about it at the time. I was just kind of like, what? Like you're just running around? Like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and then uh, I, I think later on, I mean, I always like Spielberg's movies, but. I only came back to it around the end of uh, 2018 and the Tiff Lightbox, like a retrospective of all Spielberg's films. So I saw, I was just like, I'm just going to go watch a bunch of these. And I watched this one again. And I was like, wait, this is so much more complicated and like kind of ingenious than I, I, I realized. Um, it's obviously like one of, I think the most obviously personal Spielberg's films you know, given his like relationship with his parents and so on, and when it's set, Spielberg would have been around the same age, I think, as Frank uh, Abagnale Jr. But it's it's really interesting where how it ties into um, Spielberg's like just it, how how telling it is with Spielberg in general, and how and the kind of one of his most kind of vicious kind of portraits of like American society in a way, and that like he's literally taking you know every job as a role and, and kind of succeeding at it. So this is this really interesting movie about like some of the core contradictions, I think of American life, at least in this period where like, you, if you can fulfill like a social role within a given moment, you can essentially kind of like do anything. So you have the contradiction being that you're not actually free to do what you want as an American in the sixties yet. You can actually get away with anything. Um, is that, that's essentially what this movie is about. <laughs> 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 all right and, awesome and then, yeah that's and, a that's oh, a good sorry. deep read right up front <laughs> that's cool <laughs> um but but yeah i don't know like there's always this really interesting kind of kind of relationship towards towards being towards work that's that's really fascinating this film it kind of comes to a head in the end when uh when abigail starts working for the fbi and it's only he only he takes his first job only as a way to not be um, in jail in, in prison. Yeah, but yeah. he still has the same kind of rules. He's like, you know, you're working eight fifteen to five every day for the next eighteen years. So that's a really interesting thing at the very end. Where it's like, 
work and prison are actually interchangeable. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. There's totally a place, uh, like we can go into this further, but like <laughs> this movie goes on about, I'm going to say 20 minutes longer than you expect. Uh, you know, it's art yeah. could go on mm-hmm. in, in, so, a, yeah. in a really f- fascinating way, which, which we can get to later. But yeah, I just wanted to briefly mention that. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Most of it goes on a bit longer than you expected to, I find, especially around this period, like AI onwards, AI to Munich, really. Mm. I mean, even beyond that, even even Lincoln. Yeah, I wouldn't. True. Yeah, that's I, right. I wouldn't say maybe like twenty minutes, but definitely like. Five well, and a it's, half. <laughs> it's it's got an it's got an obvious end to it, and then yeah, so yeah. Yep. All right, Michael Snydell, what about yourself? What do you think of Catch Me If You Can? Yeah, you know, I remember this being a hell of a lot of fun, but I didn't realize how much uh, how much kind of teeth it had. Uh, on this rewatch, like I was really like really taken aback uh, as, as Neil was kind of saying and piggybacking on that a little bit, like the, the really like complicated view of institutions here, like uh, not only, yeah. uh, not only do you have, um, you, you know, this interesting idea where you have Christopher Walken, you know, like literally his first, line is this joke that keeps occurring about uh, you know two mice and uh, uh you know uh what one drowned and the other made it into butter and and like that seems to be playing so much with all of these bootstraps myths and things like that and i find it so interesting that like even early on frank in trying to be very sincere like he's a you know he's slick but he's he does have good intentions in trying to help his family and he can't get a loan. He can't, yeah, yeah. He, he can't move up no matter what he does. And I, I think just the, the notion then that like he goes through the run of like the, you know, the avatars of American capitalism, a doctor, a lawyer yeah, yeah. and a, exactly, a pilot. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, short of being an astronaut, like he, he covers uh, every childhood dream. So, yeah, I was I was really, really impressed on this uh, second go around. Yeah. Uh, how much more seems to be going going on here. And just, uh, yeah, it, it it was weird. Yeah, I don't mean to like belabor the length because I think it it earns it, but it's still pretty oh, yeah, fascinating yeah. to me that I did not remember this being about two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, no, it uh, feels like a tight two hours, really, I, th- I find. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the performances, that's the other thing, too. Uh, Leo is playing, all right, is he playing a 15-year-old? Is that where it's supposed to be? That's how it starts. You know, he's, I think he's 16 when the movie yeah, starts. Yeah, I think he starts at 16, and then it goes on for a couple years. And yeah. then he's, yeah, he's done with everything by 19, according to that <laughs> game show bit, which, yeah, like, yeah. You know, I might be pushing it a little bit, but uh, yeah, he's he's really really good in this. So yeah, oh yeah, I, no, I think he's amazing in this movie. I think it's fascinating too. The ones, the movies he seems the most natural in, I think, are this and Wolf of Wall Street, which is kind of funny. Just any time that he is required to be a con man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really excels. <laughs> okay, but Marty's definitely seen this movie because the fucking pen scene. <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street oh, yeah, totally. feels like a, a perfect parallel uh, back to this, but yeah, I got I got more to say about this, but yeah, I think this is is fun, 
I thought it was fun before, but I think I think there's a hell of a lot going on here that I didn't see when I first saw this. All right, Bill Graham, what about yourself? Uh, so I'm pretty sure I didn't catch this in theaters. Um, I watched it probably about seven, eight years ago uh, for the first time. I don't know if that roughly translates to when this was actually released, like on DVD or not. No, this um, came out 18 years ago. 18 years ago. Okay. Um, so it's been a little while. Uh, yeah. So I saw this about probably 10 years ago. Um, I really enjoyed it then. Um, I didn't remember all that much, which, you know, goldfish brain bill shouldn't be too surprising. <laughs> um, I forgot how many fucking people are in this film that you recognize. <laughs> and you're just like, holy shit. Is Jennifer Garner playing a hooker? What, <laughs> what is going on in this movie? Um, and you know, it's just one of those things where Spielberg just doesn't, doesn't waste his opportunity to get to cast a face. And he's just really, really good at that kind of stuff. Um, let's see what else about this movie. I think it is too long. Um, I will say that up front, but that is also, you know, re rewatch this late at night. Um, probably not the best idea. Uh, you know, but that being said, I think it's got a ton of momentum. It's got a ton of heart um, throughout. Uh, and yeah, I think I think the entire cast is just really, really on their game. I really like Christopher Walken's uh, father figure here. He's he's dynamic in a way that that you don't really expect. He's uh, he's constantly looking for his next big score. He's he reminds me a lot of like a bank robber kind of on his last last limbs um but yeah i i really enjoy this film um i've enjoyed most of spielberg's films i mean i'm sure that's that's very controversial right um but yeah yeah that's good yeah i like spielberg's too so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am um, yeah. i'm a fan of this movie uh this movie's pretty good um i feel like i first saw it right after it was released on dvd like my parents got it from blockbuster and then i remember that they actually bought the dvd from costco i don't know why <laughs> that sticks out in my brain as a thing that happened Not 10 of them? no you only got one but it was still <laughs> cheaper than you'd expect um no, and sam's yeah. club and costco like movie purchases like pivotal for me brian I we mean, could yeah. do a whole episode about that alone <laughs> let's go through all the movies that we bought at costco <laughs> Um, I bought Arrival at Costco. I bought 28 Days Later at Costco. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, so so yeah, I'm I'm a fan of this movie. This movie's pretty good. Um, I I think that when I first saw it, I was a lot more enamored with it than I am now. I don't know mm -hmm. if I've cooled on it due to familiarity or because of my like increasingly strained relationship with both Steven Spielberg and Janusz Kaminski. <laughs> um. <laughs> But I think that everything that I liked about it still exists in this movie. I do still find its weird structure a little off-putting at times. I, I kind of don't dig how it opens with a flash-forward to a flashback to yet another flashback. <laughs> um, and I... I I uh, like it's not it's not a new thing to say even on this episode that the movie goes on 20 minutes longer than you expect it to. I think that the things that it does 
in that 20 minutes are great, but I feel like you could pare it down and streamline it a bit so that it doesn't uh-huh. feel so extraneous, but you have to like, just know academically that all the things that it's trying to say are, are encapsulated oh, there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, um, but in general, I mean like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is charming as shit in this movie. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. Um, I think that Christopher Walken has never walked a tighter rope between like horror. It, <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. You said Walk Christopher Walken walk. walked. I am so sorry. I did not mean <laughs> to do that. Um, at least I haven't like busted out a walking impression yet. I'm sure that'll come later in the episode. He, um, us. <laughs> dear God. The last time I did a Christopher Walken impression on this show, I think, was for The Jungle Book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way back when. Um, I think part that, of that movie, though. <laughs> that's as the, the, the giant orangutan. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way that Christopher Walken says man cub changed my life forever. <laughs> um but I think in this movie he does a really good uh job towing a line between um like uh, I don't I don't I don't want to say pure evil or malevolence but like a corrupting bad influence and a man who appears to be just like a harmless little coot. Mm-hmm. Um I think that the the relationship with the dad in this movie is perhaps unsurprisingly since it's a Spielberg film like the richest text to draw from as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm. And yeah, it's just fun to see this parade of, of other actors come through and, and just respond to the whirlwind madness that is Frank Abagnale Jr.'s life. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about the plot and stuff in depth. So, you know, you're not going to, I'm not coming in with a hot take that this movie is garbage <laughs> uh, for anyone who is hopeful that I might, you know, spring that on people. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I, I'll probably be the coolest on it, but it's still, it's still like grand rollicking old time. Uh-huh. Yeah. It has not aged poorly. In fact, it's only aged better because of how many people you see in this movie who went on oh, to like, yeah, yeah. like just the fact that Amy Adams is like the candy striper that he falls for. <laughs> and just remembering like 2002 Amy Adams. And how it's, like insane of a crush I had on her after seeing this movie. It's, it's yeah, so funny you know, because Brian De Palma uh, d- helped him cast this because he was busy with Minority Report. Oh, really? So he basically, like did the auditions and for Amy Adams and Jennifer Garner when he was yeah uh, when he awesome. when he was doing yeah I guess when he when he was about to release Minority or when he was still in post for Minority Report I guess. That is such a Spielberg story. Like every time you hear about him, it's like, so yeah, he was shooting this one movie while he was still editing another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, that's that's kind of his classic deal, right? Is is he'll kind of stop and take a break for a little bit, and then just kind of roar back with a vengeance, and (laughs) he'll have multiple things kind of in the pipeline, always going. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I, I mean, I'm sure nowadays he can probably get things off the ground fairly easy you know just by having having his name attached to it period um and so you know even back then i'm sure he still had a lot of that kind of command where he can just all right i'm ready to work now here's three movies this is what i want to do it's just like jesus man (laughs) (laughs) 
No, it's nice. It's really fun. <laughs> it allows for good times in the theater every year. He does that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> all of his double movie years. Um, yeah. Though I don't know, it doesn't always lead to good times in the theaters, lest we forget Ready Player oh, One. God, no. Let's <laughs> let's not talk about that fucking. Let's only talk about Ready Nick. Player One and yeah, how. <laughs> I'm Neil, sure you're you're a fan of Ready Player I'm One. I'm a right? big fan of that one, actually. Oh um, no! <laughs> okay, well, let's let's quickly move on. Quickly move forward. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, uh, this this movie. Um, I think it's also interesting to know that like this was a big uh, return for Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Who uh, kind of just disappeared for a little while after Titanic. Well, he did The Beach. Yes, he did. He did A Man with the Iron Mask, which is a movie I really liked when I was a kid, but I'm pretty sure it's terrible. Yeah, that's one of those ones that I refuse to go back to. Yeah. It's it's not quite worth it for me. Yeah. And then then he he did, I guess what happened, because he he shot Gangs of New York in 2000, Mm -hmm. but it it got delayed a year because of 9-11. Yes. And then in the meantime, so so Cash if you came out like in the same month i guess or the same same like, week i think it is of gangs yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, wow. pers- personally i think one performance is a lot better than the other one but i don't know if anyone is good unless you guys ride for dicaprio's gangs performance <laughs> i i ride for okay so they were released literally five days apart wow <laughs> uh, gangs of new york came out on the 20th catch me can came out on christmas day I I like Gangs of New York more, but I do think that Catch Me If You Can is a better performance from right, DiCaprio. Right. I think that he's he's fine enough in Gangs of New York to carry it, and is luckily surrounded by a bunch of crazy characters like uh, Brendan Gleeson wielding a shillelagh and Daniel Day Lewis cutting people's ears off, and uh, you know Hellcat Maggie eating people's ears off. Um, I don't like DDL in that movie at all. Is this, wait, whoa, wait a second. You don't like Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York? In Gangs of New York, no. I think he's oh really obnoxious. Oh my God, you're a horrible human being. <laughs> How could you say that to me right well, now? We, could, we, we could also talk about Don's Plum and we just skipped right over that That's one, a movie so. that like never <laughs> truly got released, right? Where's the release, Don's I Plum. I think so. Yeah, it's I out he's, there. What the fuck is that? It's it's like a student film thing that like one of his friends made that he was in but like never got released. Oh, fuck. Because it's like terrible. Um <clears throat> back to Daniel Day Lewis in Gangs of New York. Michael Snydell, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we can move on. We can the, move on. The mustache and the hat alone. But yes, so he he comes back and it's interesting that he he kind of hits this this double uh, whammy, this double play of like one of them, I'm going to be the good looking, charming kid from Titanic, but like, you know, with a little bit of an evil twist. Um, and in the other one, he's like, I'm going to be in a serious rock'em, sock'em, violent Martin Scorsese movie. And he never works with Spielberg again, but he kind of starts hitting Catch Me If You Can notes and like um, like a small amalgamation of Gangs of New York notes in a shit ton of movies with Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because uh, <laughs> two years after Catch Me Can is The Aviator. Yeah, yeah. Well, does, does Spielberg have any of those frequent collaborators? Sorry, can you say that again? 
does Spielberg have any of those frequent like actors that he keeps returning to? I guess Hanks, really. Yeah. I can't think of many others. Hanks, uh, he did two movies with uh, Tom Cruise. That's uh-huh. Right, yeah. um, but then Tom Cruise went a little crazy. Yeah, that's... <laughs> As one does. <laughs> you know... When you, I'm not gonna start slandering Scientology. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Steven Spielberg, <laughs> like, who are the people that he's worked with the most? I guess it really is just kind of Hanks, right? It's really more, yeah. He really kind of spends more time with crew guys, like like Kaminsky, obviously, and Michael Kahn editing. Mm-hmm. But with in terms of actors, he's he's pretty much interchangeable. I was gonna say Hanks. Janusz Kaminsky is his favorite yeah. guy. <sighs> I, I, I know you uh, have a have a, a bone to pick with uh, Janusz in a number of things. I, I know you're not wild about like Bridges Spies, but I, I believe that to you, right? So, so here's my thing. I like many movies that he has made with Janusz Kaminski, but I like them in spite of Janusz Kaminski being a part of it. Like, I if I had it within my power, I would drown <laughs> Janusz Kaminski in a pool of light. Like, I just. <laughs> I find that many of his visual choices to be just annoying to the extreme, um, which I know, I don't know if, I don't even know if that is technically an unpopular opinion. I don't know if people like ride hard for Yanush, but um, I just can't, I just can't, I just don't like it. I, um, what like, is it about this film in particular? Is there any, any kind of pet peeves that I uh, like the, are in this one? like when they're in his apartment um or at his like school and again there's just like the 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 overwhelming like milky white light that's coming from seemingly nowhere and like blowing out all the windows there's yeah, just, he, does, he does it all the time <laughs> yeah there's just something about it that's like it's it's so consistently there in everything that it start that I start to wonder like uh, is this a choice you're making because it says something or do you just like the way it looks you uh-huh. know like when I see something with Toll or or Deacons or even you know Lubezki I can usually see that the the choices being made in cinematography are being adapted to say something or fit into the story right, right. but like Yanush Kaminsky could be shooting like just i don't know a butter commercial and we'll still be like i think that we need many pools of lights i have no idea what yerish kaminsky sounds like so i went sort of polish german with a little bit of swiss just vague neutral <laughs> european i think is what i went for he's, he's foreign he's foreign for sure <laughs> i should have just given him an australian accent <laughs> I like I mean, Kaminsky, but I can totally see why people wouldn't. Right, and <laughs> that's like, the thing. Yeah, like, he's, I, got, in, he's, he's like, oh, just kind of like a cross between like Vittorio Storaro and like Robert Richardson, but in like a cross that doesn't mm. always kind of mesh. And I can totally, like, I totally bet like most of his choices, at least his work with Spielberg at least, because he also shot funny people and it looks totally like normal. But with Spielberg, it's always very stylistic kind of like tones tone of the scene with like some kind of visual ornamentation that usually is just like a random pool of light, but I guess that's what he likes. So I don't know. He loves it. He goddamn loves it. Yeah. I do like like the color timing throughout cash. If you can actually more than most of the films, I admit just in terms. 
my my issue is like so i remember the first time i noticed the yanush kaminsky of it all especially in terms of fools of light <laughs> was in minority report but there it was like it's the yeah. future baby like of course yeah, there's pools of light like of course it's bright as shit and all this other stuff like it's the future it's just weird looking you know and he did war as well right and then catch me if you can has the same kind of vibe and i'm like it's the 50s or 60s like why are we still light pooling <laughs> and then the terminal and i'm just like i guess you know because it's like a big like a like the sterile open air environment of like a terminal maybe that's why and then war of the worlds i'm like i guess it's because there's aliens and yeah, then no, it's interesting yeah it does become the standard weirdly after minority report in yeah. ways i don't fully understand why but i don't mind it personally i, I not against how it looks but I, I yeah I understand one's qualms. Yes, and the, the qualms exist, and I just felt like I had to get them out. Um, and now I have, and we don't have to talk about Yanish Kaminsky anymore. Well, I, th- I think you pronounced <laughs> his name like five different ways. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, I think there is something interesting to be said about uh, Kaminsky's uh, work here, Brian. I I, I don't I don't I hate you quite... so much. I don't quite have the irritation uh, levels uh, with you of the milky pool of lights. Uh, yeah, milky pools of light. I, I hate that phrase. Right? <laughs> I, don't, I am so sorry. You're going to have to say it a bunch now. But I, I think that Catch Me If You Can is this really interesting tension between kind of that caper quality, you, you know, that, you know, the the brighter um yeah, but brighter isn't quite what I'm looking for. That kineticism and that certain, you know, 60s quality, like all of those things are aesthetic touches that they could lean into, especially when you think about how this story seems to, as as I was saying, it feels like very much an avatar for that time. So, so many of these characters are representations of these certain you know, uh, beliefs in, in the world or something. And it could have leaned further into that, but I liked how, how so much of it looks drained. Like it, it was kind of yeah. interesting watching this with my partner and, you know, <laughs> I kind of sold this to her being like, you know, this, this is a uh, kind of a fun caper. And once we got to, you know, some of the, uh, some of the parental uh, fracture, uh, fractures and things like that, she's like, you know, this is, uh, this isn't a, quite a caper. It's, you know, it, there's always this like churning undercurrent of things yeah, yeah. that aren't working out. Yeah. It's like, a very like desperate movie in a lot of ways. Or at least <laughs> it's really sad, like kind of su- as subtext. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, because like it, the 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 movie basically posits that all of this is just his way of not dealing with his parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Which, I kind of love how I, uh, Brent. Sorry, uh, I I just wanted to say like, I, and we can get into this. And even one of the main jokes hinges on this. You know, Hanks over and over asking, "How did he?" past the bar how do you pass the bar and and you're assuming it's going to be some you know magic or you know uh, equivalent of a you know ingenious magic trick or, or something along those lines and it's 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 not like you don't really see as much as there's a few sight gags you know about him being a doctor and the and the great thing where he has the you know tongs in his mouth trying to get himself to not throw up while looking at the yeah. the boy with the bone coming out like it's not really a movie where you're you're seeing like the goofy possibilities uh, of these jobs. A lot of his 
like counterfeiting and identity switches are like in a hotel room, him doing very precise things with, you know, uh, with seals and like crossing out numbers on checks. Like it's, it's such an unromantic way (laughs) to show this in a way. And that's what, that's what really struck me. And again, I'm not trying to bring back the Kaminsky conversation, Brian, but here I would say it does feel totally motivated, even if you're not sure why that milky pool of light is in that scene. (laughs) And one thing too, with him studying at the end or like being like, no, I just studied it. It it makes, I mean, a lot just makes so much sense. If you can get away with all these other things, of course you can just study for two weeks and then pass the bar. Because that's if, if all these other positions are that easy to break into, you know, so, and it just plays into this whole thing of like through everything, just break, literally break, which is really fascinating about this movie. So of course, you're going to kind of cross every bar. And the, and the thing, too, with like the family stuff, but it's like one of the core, you know, obviously the the core themes of Spielberg is this total, not ambiguity, but I guess ambivalence towards like the traditional family unit. And here it's like, and especially with you know Spielberg's parents on divorce, so on, you you kind of um, how do I put this? Like the whole thing becomes about uh, trying to make the fiction or like that that vision of the world real again. He always wants to get his parents back together, and at first you kind of you kind of strikes you as like what? And you really he's only like sixteen, seventeen, so he's not he's not an adult, and he's and because like he wants to make this vision this fiction into like reality. By doing so, he shows the fiction of all these other, you know, positions in order to get It's very, very sophisticated, I think. Oh, hello? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm going to say something that might be controversial. I actually find his motivation being just getting away from his parents to, like, suck most of the interest out of this movie for me. That's fair. Like, I, I think it would almost be more interesting if he was just like, I was always a big fish in a little pond and God, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to make something of myself. And like the idea that he just like has this breakdown, then constantly comes back and is like, hey, dad, when are you going to talk to Ma again, dad? And he's like 15. He's kid. Well, I get it, though. It's fair. It's weird seeing DiCaprio do that. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, a little, like, I, I, and maybe it's, again, maybe I accepted it more when I was, when I was younger, because I didn't know that DiCaprio had anything else in him. But, like, now I'm like, kind of wish, kind of wish I saw some Jordan Belford in this kid. <laughs> like, he's clearly enjoying himself, but there's something about his, his, like, neediness to, like, get his family yeah, back yeah. together. That's like I'm just, like, there's a part of me that keeps thinking, like, you know, at some point, like, does he, does, does he get, like, how is he doing all this stuff and not getting a little jaded? Oh, and yeah. it, the movie doesn't appear to be about him being a, a, a seemingly sweet kid who somehow keeps his, like, gosh shucks attitude despite the bad world around him. Like, he's clearly lying cheating thieving con man at heart it's just kind it it is and this is you know one of the things that spielberg does it's such a spielberg move to be like ah but he's just a kid who misses his pop you know yeah, well I, I think also it's a bit more complicated not not really actually not at all i think and the reason he's not come off as like more belfort is spielberg totally really 
he's like, yeah, you get away with that. You know, he's, he's <laughs> a very scamp. <laughs> then he, sorry? Just like Spielberg tossing his hair and saying, you little scamp. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly. That's why you see him. There's way more kind of, I don't know if empathy is the right word, but Spielberg likes Abagnale way more than say Scorsese likes Belfort. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's kind of why he's just like, <laughs> kind of, he's, he's also way more charming than Belfort too. Well, I mean, I mean, Belfort is a, is a a criminal in a in a very different sense, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I think I think this one for Abagnale, I think his his whole idea keeps getting tied into the fact that like he does miss his family and and that's what like Hanks at one point like calls him on and that's one of my like. I, I love that dynamic and I love that relationship because what it reminded me so much of is uh, Killing Eve um, in that like they kind of each have each other's number. They're each kind of playing with each other at certain moments. Um, you know, just the simple fact that like Hanks saw him, got his, you know, tracked him down so quickly Um I say, I say so quickly, I mean, relatively quickly. And, you know, I love the fact that like he shows up at, what is it? The, not the Copa Cabana, (laughs) the Tropicana, the Tropicana. And, uh, you know, shows up and, and is just fascinated. You know, I love that sequence and I love the fact that they kind of uh, tease each other. And, uh, you know, I mean, even, even so much as having Hanks, like, his gun is shaking and you're just like, no, you cannot kill this 16 year old boy. Like, what are you doing? Put your gun away. Yeah, but of yeah. course, he's got no idea. Right. Like he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. have a clue. Um, the, the other thing I love about this film is that the fact that he like uses a pseudonym as, from the flash means that he's a boy. It's just oh, like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, what do you mean that means that's he's the, a boy? Like, that's the, that is the most 2002 aspect of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, true. this person, like, you know, is, is uh, of course, it's comic books. He must be a child. And now, they, to nowadays, you'd be like, I don't know. We're looking for a straight white male between the ages of 12 and 45. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, do, I do love that he gives the, the FBI description and, and the guy's just like, what do you mean? Between 5'10 and, and 6 foot and white with like brown eyes and you know brown hair and you're just like, what are you describing to me right yeah, now? Yeah, when you break Every Leonardo person? DiCaprio down to his component parts, he sounds pretty normal. Yeah. But then you put it's them all like, together and you're like, oh no, that's a beautiful man right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, th- th- there's just so many fun aspects in this film of, of, you know, like the Hanks performance just in general. What it reminded me so much of is actually Birds of Spies. Um, mm, you know, yeah, I just, saw that too. His, his quiet confidence that he's going to get the job done. Um, and, you know, th- there's that scene early on. I'm not sure if he's, is he, he's spelling his own name, right? To the, uh, to the French officials or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. like it, Spielberg spins like what? It, like that's a, 
a two minute or not even a two. It's like a 90 second sequence where he's just like over and over trying to spell his name. He's just like, this is so unnecessary, but it's so fascinating that he just has that tick where he's like, nah, I'm going to spend just this little extra effort of like this cinematic touch. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, Totally. That's, that's how you know. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, because he, he really wants to show that Hanratty is like a guy who is hemmed in by but also thrives within bureaucracy. <laughs> so whereas whereas Frank would be like, you know, I'm going to turn heel on these guys, take a powder and find something more interesting to do. Hanratty is like, all right, I'm just going to keep repeating my name until the wheels of bureaucracy grind this red tape apart and then I can finally get my warrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, the one, that's like the core, deep core difference between Frank and Abigail, actually. Too. Because, like, even at the end, especially when the relationship of time is very interesting, also. Like, cause even at the end, when, when they're getting on the plane, and he's like, uh, like, Frank still thinks that uh, Hanratty's daughter's like four, but she's like 10 now. But yeah. it's like, time hasn't changed for Frank because he's literally spending all his time doing whatever he wants. And so it just doesn't exist for him, whereas Frank's. Being hemmed and thriving in that bureaucratic manner, never like literally doing the job. Whereas, and, and and so like he he's always like aware, obviously, that Frank isn't doing any job at all. He's just having fun all the time. And so he's like, wait, no, of course she's still four. What are you kidding? She's not. You know, it's really interesting. Handready's interior life is that he has no interior life. <laughs> he's got that one knock knock joke. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. The, one, the one F word in the in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. No. It's really, really interesting. Is is this movie rated PG thirteen? I think it is. Yeah, I, I believe it has to be. Got, yeah. There's a little bit more sex in it than I was I was kind of expecting. But it's very PG thirteen um, sex, you know. It's it like, is, it oh, is. the 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 dinner ta- or not the dinner the uh, the room service tray is bouncing and mm-hmm. you know everyone's making out with their clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't I didn't remember the and I, I, I like I'm not saying this is a as a bad or a good thing, but I just didn't remember how. Uh, kind of played up and almost like berserk all of the female characters are in this. You, you know, you have uh, Elizabeth Banks from the beginning, but then, uh, you know, the Jennifer Garner scene, but even Amy Adams, like just they are, they're occupying the such extremes of what you, what you expect of so, kind of so, like sorry. those archetypes. Sorry, can you say that again? I just got cut off for a second. No, you're you're all good. Uh, what I was saying is, I wasn't expecting the female roles to be kind of as like berserk and heightened as right. uh, as they were, you know, in re- in relation to you know, you Elizabeth Banks is kind of the first person who he, uh, you know, um, sorry, uh, slick talks, but then you know, even someone like Amy Adams who is kind of that opposite of the sex pod character. Right, right, like yeah. she's still very much in that opposite extreme that right. like the archetype of the, of, you know, kind of the sixties, sixties women. And it, it, it's, I, I just hadn't remembered 
I, I almost want to go back to that period trying to understand a little bit more about uh, whether some of those female roles like have any of these characteristics. And we haven't mentioned at all that like the script writer on this is Jeff Nathanson, who's had a truly yeah. bizarre career um, right. since Catch Me If You Can. Like So after the terminal, then he went on to uh, – or. or yeah, he went on to Rush Hour 3, Crystal Skull, Tower Heist, uh, the fourth or fifth, th- fifth Pirates of the Caribbean, and then that oh, new Lion no. King. <laughs> That's oh, odd. No. Wow, he did. He also did Rush Hour 2 and Speed 2. Oh, One man. of those movies is not. Is, is he pretending to be a screenwriter? Is, it, is this what the <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe that there's like legitimately he gets a screenplay credit for the Lion King. Yeah, I just saw that. Too. That's just is still infuriating to me because I remember we talked about that during our Lion King episode. We were like, he just like changed two lines. <laughs> what the shit? Um, I mean, yeah, it's weird because this movie, I would say, is is pretty classical, you know, Hollywood screenwriting. Yeah, yeah. I and I don't know that I can say the same about most of the other things that he's done. <laughs> Rush Hour 2, classical screen. <laughs> um, I would say he that did, just... He also did too. Oh, okay. Just based off of this and the terminal, it's clear that he hates women. <laughs> um, the terminal I mean, being thing- the movie where... Um, like Zoe Saldana uh, agrees to like immediately marry someone who's never talked to her. And uh, Catherine Zeta Jones screams that she's sick because she's incapable of loving Victor Dvorsky. How do you remember these? This from the terminal. I have seen the terminal like twice and it is burned into my brain. Wow. Yeah. Um, Was it the milky pools of light? Yes, the milky pools of light really helped to drive something into my uh, my mind. But um yeah, I don't know. It's it's it was funny though cuz um I we we had talked earlier and and someone uh, had said that um you know the how different Abignale and Jordan Belford are, but like just in terms of like people who use like a kind of script to bilk money from people who they assume can afford to lose it mm. and get like a kind of weird sort of cult following and who, you know, womanize. <laughs> They're very similar people. It's just that one of them is a teenager who's being directed by Steven Spielberg, you know, and the other's a sociopath. <laughs> but I mean, can you say that Frank Abagnale Jr. is not a sociopath? Well, I mean, the fact that he can't stop himself from doing this over and over and over um, just is, is a huge cry for help. Right. Um, You know, the the fact that like he eventually, I think, and, and I don't know if this is classic Spielberg or just a classic, like different take on this, but like, I almost find his life after this film more fascinating to see how he interacts and see how he would eventually like become this expert on, on counterfeiting and things of that nature. And it, it, you know, obviously it makes sense, right? Like Mm -hmm. he, he got so good at his craft that like 
Tom Hanks's character had to like go to like these <laughs> these like old school like just printing people who like sniffs his checks and just like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, this is this is real good. <laughs> like this is this is better than what the banks produce. And you're just like, what is what what is that? Like how has he gotten this good? And you know, I think yeah, like I said, he is so incapable of just stopping and you wonder there's this moment when he's he's calling uh hanratty and uh on on christmas eve and saying look like just stop chasing me i'm done i don't want to run from you anymore i don't want this anymore and hanratty's just like that's not how this works. Like you don't, you don't owe the government, like, or not just the government, you know, all these different places, so much money. You know, I think at that time it was a little over $4 million and, you know, back in the 1960s and you're just like, whoa, 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 what does that mean now? Like that's, (laughs) that's, you know, half a billion dollars probably or something like that. Um, But no, like, all of that to to say, I don't think he can stop. And yet this film ultimately posits that not only did he stop, he found a legitimate like business and made millions off of it. And you're yeah. just like, how, how does that work? Like, did he, and I mean, maybe it's just simply he was a fucking kid. And then he, he quickly realized like, Oh, the government's not actually just like a big bad bugaboo. Like they're actually people, and they will actually come after you and actually throw you in jail. Like this kind of sucks. <laughs> so I think you know, and you know, I I went through college where I was a dumb dumb, and then you know got into my adult years, still still working on that. And you know, it's like you you start to kind of settle down, and so I guess maybe that's that's Abagnale's kind of story is like he, he was no longer a dum-dum and decided to like actually make something out of his life. But like this film has a very kind of abrupt in where, like I said, I I'm, I'm still waiting for part two to hear that explanation. Well, what's weird is that like Jordan Belfort gets out of prison also begins like a tour. <laughs> These are as, like, weird. A consultant. Though, though. Yeah, but yeah. I think I, I guess where uh, where that loses me uh, a little bit, and I I understand what you guys are, are are saying to an extent, but I do think that the postscript in this is you know kind of bitter. I I mean, yeah, like, speaking, I agree, yeah. speaking it's, of it's, what I, what I was saying a little bit earlier, like you could stop this as soon as he goes to jail and just switch to that postscript, but like I I can't help but go back to a line earlier in the film where it's like. I think it's Hanratty who says, and he's like, the house always wins. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like Hanks is the house and it doesn't seem like he has a real complex, uh, sorry, complex view of, you know, bureaucracy or anything like that. But I think the film does. I, I, I think the fact that yeah. it doesn't just end with that postscript, like really does separate it from the, the Jordan boat affairs of the world. Like it, Bill, I mean, you did, you're really kind of making me wonder about an interesting question. Like what did, what did Frank think was going to happen? And, and, you know, you compare that to Jordan Belfort. 
I'm sorry that we keep jumping back and forth between these, but I think it's weirdly productive. <laughs> um, I, I think that Jordan Belfort, you know, like he thought he was invincible. Like, you know, he's yeah. At, 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 at a certain point, once, once, drugs were introduced to him and and sure. you know there's there's that he throws st- money at the cia or the fbi or i, I forgot yeah. it's well, the, the fbi there's, yeah, there's FBI. that sequence when when he takes that ship and sure. against everybody else's like wishes and like console and he's just like nah fuck it like like we'll, we'll make it we'll we'll get through this and you're just like no that seems like a terrible fucking idea like you should not do this, and of course he does, and you know that ship crashes and all of that shit. So um, yeah, I, I think I think at a certain point he had so much money and had so much power and wealth that yeah he he felt he was invincible, you know. Sure. And I, I think like you compare that again to Catch Me If You Can, like you know, for instance, when uh, when Hanratty picks him up at Marseille, and then uh, you know he sneaks sneaks out under the sink in the bathroom, uh, which is, is just just great. But I, I I love, for instance, that you know there's there's no doubt that he's going to be caught, but or excuse me, excuse me, caught. But like just the fact that all of the emotional urgency is the fact that he sees his mom having this new family. It's not a chase yeah, sequence. Yeah, yeah. It's not anything. It just smash cuts to this like emotional interlude. Like yeah, I, I, he basically ran from, from the airport, wherever <laughs> the hell he was landing all the way to his mom's like what New York apartment. He's just like, uh, Oh, Okay, I guess, you know, with, without shoes, I think, if I'm not mistaken, like you're just like, okay, yeah. right. this, is a, this is a very, uh, you know, heightened version of this, of this storytelling. But yeah, I mean, he, all the, all, the only thing that breaks him is just seeing that little girl and realizing that like his, his mom is also that little girl's mom, which is also like, how old is that mom? I was just <laughs> like, whoa. Oh, okay. If if There's you're still age kids, stuff in here, yeah, <laughs> it's like wow. All right, and I'm I'm more impressed by her having a kid than this entire movie. <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> that's funny. But I think one important thing between Delfort and the uh, and um, uh, what's it called, Frank? It's like I think the main difference too is like Frank Frank isn't doing anything as a like. And like anything with, as like a job, he's completely, he has no boundaries. All every these things, why he's so addicted to these things too, is it's entirely as a hobby. He's just enjoying himself so much. It's but like, there's also, he's, just, he's literally just a kid playing games. But there's a part of me that, that, that's interesting. Oh, sorry. Well, oh, okay. it's, it's almost weird that like <clears throat> Frank Abagnale Jr., his cons run a much higher probability of getting someone killed. Oh, than yeah. Jordan Belfort's, if you yeah, really yeah. think about it. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's a very irresponsible guy, for sure. Yeah. But I think about this quote from Spielberg, too, from around when it came out. Like, he said, Frank's a 21st century genius working within the innocence of the mid-60s when people were more trusting than they are now. And I don't think this is the kind of movie where somebody could say, uh, a quotation marks, I have a career plan, which is just really interesting in terms of just, like, He's just a kid enjoying his his life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fascinating. 
as a, as a fun thought experiment to um, I'm going from uh, I, I don't have a more solid source from this. I'm just going from wiki, but apparently uh, these are all names that were considered to direct this film before Spielberg decided to direct it. Michael Mann, Brian De David, <laughs> David, David Fincher. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah I remember. Gore that. Verbinski. Huh. Alas Hallstrom. Lassie oh, Hallstrom. No. Miles Foreman or Milos Foreman. Milos? And Milos Foreman. Yeah, sorry, Brian. Milos Foreman and Cameron Crowe. <laughs> uh, Fincher might have been interesting, but I don't know about the rest. Fincher's film would have been four hours and actually gone into the details. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. They would have shown uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. as the pure sociopath that he really is. <laughs> Instead of pools of light, everything would be slightly green. Yep. The hurdy gurdy man would play a lot. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like Zodiac. But <laughs> that's the thing. I it, I feel like this is the kind of story that, and this is like kind of shows like the power of cinema is that anyone else directing this, it's a very different movie. But Steven yeah, Spielberg yeah, is able to give it that kind of jaunty joie de vivre stuff you know like so, i hear cameron crow and i think that that's basically almost famous you know it's a, a teenager who's pretending to be something he's not who's charting around the country you know and i'm sure that the the soundtrack would probably be a, a little better um and uh, i don't know about lasa hellstrom and, and milos Forman. i feel like those would be kind of cut and dry <laughs> just I don't want to say boring, but very formally compliant. I don't know. The People versus Larry Flynn is pretty great. So mm -hmm. I, I might. I no, might. yeah, no. Performance is good, but I just, I just don't see how we'd work here necessarily. But also, mm -hmm. I, I can't see outside the Spielberg version at the same time. So who knows? Well, well, was there another one it, that I'm forgetting? Uh, did we hit the Gore. Oh, Gore Verbinski. Uh, what was he doing around this time? He had done The Ring. Mm -hmm. Now this is Mouse Hunt 002. Yeah, this might have been right after The Ring. Weird. That would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Poor funny. guy. Yeah. yeah now, now I need to look this up. Like, what would what would he have made right before this? What weather was Weatherman the Mexican, around this time? It's so it's the Mexican was 2001. Mouse Hunt was 1997. And then The Ring was 2002, the same year as this. So he would have not made The Ring. He would have made, I guess the the kind of jauntiness of Mouse Hunt might apply itself to. Well, and so then he goes on to do Pirates in what two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand three. Mouse Hunt's like a nasty, like a uh, Mouse Hunt's wow. a weird movie. Like it, that is so, a mean spirited movie. <laughs> so so maybe yeah yeah. So maybe had he done this, he wouldn't have done Pirates, which. Basically, like yeah. reinvigorated his entire career. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know that it it re, you'd say reinvigorated, but he just done the ring, which was a smash hit. Yeah, yeah. Sure, but I wouldn't say that he was. Well, I mean, I guess he did get a big, big uh, budget Disney project, so yeah. I guess yeah. And then I, he made the know. weatherman. <laughs> Different shape of the blockbuster at this moment. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I, 
I forgot the ring was actually like a big commercial success. Which, yeah, man, I saw that like three times in theaters. It's a, that was yeah, like it, it's, it <laughs> kickstarted its yeah. own kind of reinvigoration of like just okay. Oh, y'all, y'all like the Japanese horror movies? It was uh, 2002, so I was like 15 ish, 14, 15. The ring was like go to date movie ju- for as long as it was in theaters. Didn't they just remake that? They made a sequel called Rings. Rings. Yeah. Like, like, I, I mean, I thought, I thought they remade it like shortly at, or they made a sequel shortly after the first one. There is, there is the indeed the ring. Two. Then there's the ring too. And then there's rings. Ah, okay. So rings is officially another sequel. So yeah, it's kind of a reboot. Okay. Yeah. That was 2017. I don't know how we got here, but I I think to to bring us back a little bit. Uh, You got us here, Michael. (laughs) Well, I take no responsibility. Um, (laughs) Just like Frank Abagnale Jr. I was about to say, all right, Abagnale. How many young boys must get their legs broken before you realize what you're doing, Frank? Okay, Barry Allen. No, I, I, I think it like... We are getting into something kind of interesting in, in talking, in not only this thought experiment, but in getting, like, I, I kind of agree with you, Brian, in the sense that, like, the things that, uh, sorry, the things that Frank does, you know, they, they could lead to a lot of consequences. But I, I think that, again, that kind of speaks to the certain, like, dissonance uh, about Spielberg. And, and you could say this about any canon filmmaker because people love putting things in boxes but it's like spielberg is always weirder than people give him credit oh yeah no, absolutely yeah <laughs> like, like it's literally yeah, a whole film's about breaking the law like it's just directly <laughs> <laughs> and he's like he's valorized like this is yeah, yeah, exactly. in no <laughs> way is it no. like ambiguous <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, it's just about breaking the law and Spielberg being like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, the movie should end with that song, I Fought the Law and <laughs> like it's just it's just weird. Because yeah, I do bring, want I wonder if we complex. were just in a place in, in like in society at this point where we were like, Yeah, you know, breaking the law is cool. Like, you know, because I feel like nowadays if we released a movie like this, people would be like um, Catch Me If You Can valorizes the same type of people who brought us the fire festival in Theranos. You know? <laughs> Don't do this. No, it's possible. Yeah, it's this is definitely the nice article of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely plausible that that would happen. Yeah, I wonder if we've like lost our stomach for like charming con men. I just, like it, there is a part of me that I mean, wants that. Like, in fact, Robert Redford just had one, right? The old man, the gun. So yeah. yeah, well, he was a bank robber. He wasn't so much a con man. Sure, but but I mean that 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 actually feels even more potent, right? Like because because he was also during doing it. How like he was doing that? It's what like in the not, 80s. not that yeah. in the eighties? Okay, yeah. So, but he was seen as a Robin Hood, and I think you'd have a harder time. Uh, viewing this as a Robin Hood story, or, you uh, know. I mean, uh, Pan Am. Uh, probably a Robin Hood. Uh, no, because he's not. He's not like giving tickets to oh. underprivileged people in the cities. <laughs> he's just running around the country and Europe himself. Sure, sure. 
Yeah, Brad, he's, I feel like he's you're spending, annoyed. He, he, he's, he's, spending, he's spending all the money on himself. I just need to keep us on this like moral track <laughs> so we don't ever yeah, have to what? talk about Janusz Kaminski again. I think like, I don't give a shit about the airlines and the cops. Like, never it was I like, oh, I feel bad for Tom Hanks. <laughs> I, I sort of did feel bad for Tom Hanks. One of the one of the things that I remember at the oh, end of this no. movie, even watching it as a 15 year old, okay. is when Frank is going to run away again after he's well, been given this time. chance. I was just <laughs> like, I don't care about this kid. This kid sucks now. Like, I, there's just something like. How many opportunities does this kid have to be given before, like, you know, he's smart, he's handsome, he's charming, he's, like, running around doing whatever the fuck he wants, and I'm supposed to feel bad that he can't get his shit together enough <laughs> to cop to the, the the terms of his plea deal? That's 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 some that's some that's some thirty or uh, fifteen going on thirty kind of kind of revelations there, Brian. That's great stuff. But uh, no, I think, yeah, there is a part of I, me that I, was I just do, like my jealousy boiled over, and I was like, I cannot deal with this right I, now. I, I I do not disagree. I think I think that's how you say it. Um, I I absolutely agree that I was very annoyed watching it this time when he takes off for the airport in that final sequence. And I was just like, "You fucking dumb dumb! Like you you just got out of jail. You're working in a nine to five at the fucking FBI." Like you, you have a very cushy position right now and like nothing is wrong. Like I'm sure they are taking care of you very well. You know, maybe you're not making a lot of money because you're still serving out a jail sentence, but like, I'm sure they're not going to let you starve or do anything bad. Uh, So yeah, like you just figure, okay, now you got a desk job. Like, suck it the fuck up (laughs) like most kids around this time would fucking love to have that job at like 19 while also living all of that extra like you did so much shit that like would fill a lifetime in a couple of years and I so like he almost got like a sample plan i guess <laughs> that's not a good you're argument that he didn't get saying. more no no but i'm i'm saying that I don't know. I, I, yeah, he's he's handsome. He has a good job. Like I I I, I see where you guys are coming from. That it's a it's a pretty uh, stalwart argument against. Uh, this is feel bad for him. <laughs> this is only coming up like as I'm older looking at this, right? Like th- oh, no, these see, are this those kind of. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I was a jaded, going jaded on thirty. <laughs> you're you're already thinking about your four hundred one k. Um, but no, like like it's it's so fascinating as you watch these movies as you get older and then also understanding like the people that made these are also older than you are so and and you're like okay so what is their viewpoint like like when i turn 40 am i gonna have a completely fucking different viewpoint than what i have you know now and so it's it's just fascinating how a movie like this can kind of warp over time. Um, you know, it's, it's, what is it? The, the classic, like, you know, the, the, you bring to the movie more than like what it brings to you or something like that. You know, it's, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's all about your viewpoint and your, your timeline currently and how you kind of interpret some of this stuff where you just, 
you just like Frank fucking suck it up. Like wear a suit <laughs> to work. It is going to be okay. You will be just fine. You work for the government now. Like this is going to be a pretty cushy. There job. is, there's a, so I didn't think this when I was 15, but watching it recently, I did think I was like, man, I can't believe he's running away from that kind of job security. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, but here's like, the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. I want to, I want to bring this back to like, <laughs> let's look at this movie in context. Like 2002, we'd just been through nine 11. Wasn't a great time. I think that the <laughs> kind of pure escapism of this movie really played well. I'm, I'm curious though, like the way that society has changed over the last 18 years is I feel like if this movie were indeed released today, Like I already said, like, you know, the kind of hot take culture that would brand Frank Abagnale Jr. The next uh, what was his name? McFarlane or or, you know, voice change over at Theranos. uh, Elizabeth. I can't remember her name. Um, I, I also wonder, like, if this is the type of thing where like people would would rail against this movie and basically like remember how when we watched uh, Good Time, we called it like toxic white privilege, the movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie would kind of get branded with that same kind of brush. Like this is, I, I just don't know because, because Spielberg is so pulp and so pop that I feel like this movie is, is just rubber. Right. And it, it just, it won't sustain those kind of, those kind of hits. I mean, the films that we're comparing it to good time is, is a dirty fucking sweaty ass mess. That makes me want to go take a shower for like five days. What if Frank um, Abagnale Jr. had no charm, no class, and no intelligence, and 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 some some raggedy ass teeth? Yeah, sure, maybe. I don't know. Were his teeth bad in that movie? I thought I, I thought his teeth. Was... I, I think his teeth are bad in that movie. I I don't, I, I don't want to speculate what the discourse is because that makes me want to put my head through a wall. But what what. I would rather say is I think that there is if this was made now, I think on the surface, this would be a more bitter movie. I, I think what is interesting about the way that I seem to be coming at this differently than especially you, Brian, is like I, I feel like this movie. So it's it's two things because it is one, a piece of escapism uh, starring a ridiculously handsome person who makes it through anything but it's also a movie that has no respect for the actual institutions that existed for <laughs> it has not only it, it, it's not only disrespectful but it it believes that a person uh, can't make it like this is, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. this is the gatsby you, you know like like I think, for instance, of the the great scene where Christopher Walken, uh, yeah, where Frank and his dad are at the fancy restaurant. Uh, I think this is the scene, and Frank is literally repeating his own success story about how he met Frank's mother, and he needs to like literally convince himself that that was real and wasn't something he just imagined. Like, like in. In its own way, like I, going back, I guess, to this idea of a, a sampler, like Frank's motivations are – other than the one moment where he seems like he's kind of partying in L.A., 
his like day-to-day life doesn't seem that particularly satisfying. Like stay stay with me for okay, a second. That, I that re- LA party looks like it sucks too. Cause oh, it does suck ass. He is, like- <laughs> he is a kid who got bullied by his friends into throwing a house party and is so concerned about what's gonna happen to the house. <laughs> he like he's like you know, <laughs> you don't don't turn. It's like a reel to reel. You can't turn it like it's a like thing. And don't like you know. Be careful with the fondue. Like Jesus Christ, this is Italian silk. And he's just like, he's so <laughs> fucking upset about all the fun that everyone else is having. That's actually one of my favorite parts in the movie. Like oh, yeah, all of the yeah. things he experiences, like he almost wants to vicariously experience them with his family. Like he doesn't, he doesn't give a shit about that. when he's talking about the Coupe de Ville again in that same dinner scene. It's not, it's not even when he's talking about it. Like I love driving in that. It's let's take a ride together. Let's go back to where we were. Like it, it's, it's pathetic in a way but like all he wants is a time machine even when he has this like total hedonism right in front of him like it's it's just not a very uh, again like i'll go back to the word romantic like i guess that's where it loses me on this idea that <laughs> you, you know he's leo i don't feel bad for him like he's he's a delusional but that doesn't mean that he is unlikable to, to me. I, I, I guess is, I, I guess those are two simultaneous things that are complete contradictions. But it's nonetheless where I, where I specifically landed this time. Mm. I just there's there's just a part of me that you know it's weird because I, I I can't even tell looking back how positive or negative we've sounded on this movie. Um, <laughs> I just I I do think that there is something and I I think this is why I brought this all up to begin with. There's something intrinsic about Steven Spielberg. I don't know that he could ever make a movie about a protagonist that he did not personally like find some affection for. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Even Absolutely. like even even like Bad mm. Dad Tom Cruise in um War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds? Like yeah. still you know, Spielberg's like, he's not perfect, but he's trying, goddammit. <laughs> he just murdered Tim Robbins in a basement for his little girl. And that means something. And um, you want that cynicism to be at the point. At some I think, point. That, I think, I think uh, that it could help a little. Yeah. Neil, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I think it does kind of use that in War of the Worlds anyways to kind of a bit flip on it. I mean, it's kind of, it does pull from the searchers kind of that, that ending too, but. But uh, yeah, actually, I forgot what I was going to say. Honestly, actually, I completely kind of drifted. Hmm. Well, Brian, I'm I'm curious just to bring it back to this family relationship, as this is as we kind of been talking. It's a it's a pet theme. It's it's all over. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious: is this a general barrier for you with how how primary it is in Spielberg's films? Or I'm just trying to get a sense of whether this is an outlier. So like there it's it's interesting to me because I was thinking about this today as I was thinking about this film. And I was like, what are the things that we think about when we think about Spielberg? And the first word that jumped into my head was dads. <laughs> and it is it it's like a joke, but it is a thing in all of his movies. Like he's even said that like if I think he's I I'm gonna say this, it might be apocryphal, that if he remade Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he wouldn't have the dad leave now. Yeah, yeah. I've heard him say, I've heard yeah. it, I've heard it been said that he has said that that's the most mm-hmm. lo- nonsensical yeah. way to put that. But, um, 
It's just like he he is obsessed with fathers. And like Martin Scorsese is obsessed with his relationship with Christ and the church. But that leads to, in my mind, a, a little more of an expansive open canvas you can work with. Well, where's, where's the father figure in uh, Jurassic Park? Grant doesn't want to be a dad. Yeah. Okay. I, fair. And I, even I mean, more in Lost Worlds. Yeah, in Lost World, <laughs> yeah. uh, Malcolm is, in fact, a father who does not want yes. to be a dad. Yeah. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, like, in all, in all, the, I guess maybe I, there's clearly movies that I won't be able to answer this for. Like, I don't think I've ever seen 1940, whatever. 1941. Um, uh, Amistad, I cannot recall what the, if there was a fatherhood component in that. Um, sure. But, you know, I mean, like, Lincoln becomes very much about his relationship with his son, you know, and, and his, his, yeah. his mm-hmm. dead son and all this other I stuff. And, part, yeah. It's not that I think I feel like after I think Crystal Skulls when he starts to de-emphasize it after that film he seems to be less interested I find again because he gave Indiana Jones a son it's just <laughs> yeah. but after that it's you can, it kind of like even in, in Lincoln it's less it's kind of just kind of a a, a side thing really than well, even the, as like any significant subtext that's kind of the funny thing is that like you said it's not really subtext it's like he's just like okay I clearly like dad so if you could just make a C plot. Then maybe no, that yeah, can yeah, yeah, take yeah, yeah, it over. Yeah. But even in like Bridge of Spies, it feels like he a little bit is like, you know, trying to make it so that Tom Hanks feels a little bit fatherly-ish towards like the, the people he's trying to get out. Um, yeah. I haven't seen the post. Ready Player One is a nightmare, but that guy and, doesn't and have no, a dad, so... There's no father figure in that one, so that's why it doesn't work. Well, I think that all of the people think that the 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 weird dude who died, who's played by the British character actor that everyone loves, Rylance. Oh, yeah, Rylance. Yeah. So Halliday. Yeah, I just looked up the character he, name. He's he definitely like, has a father figure kind of feel. Right, he is the father to all these people because literally he has imparted all of his yeah, loves true, on yeah. these these people who are like his children. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that that is. That, it is funny though that they didn't actually give Wade um an actual like father because then when he's trying to avenge a parental figure he says you killed my mom's sister. <laughs> Which is the least badass line of like vengeance ever. Yeah. Should we watch that one? No, you don't. I yes, I do. God damn it. <laughs> um so that's a thing that happened. Um so I would say that like I don't mind it. It, I do sometimes wish that it weren't such a thing. I'm I'm almost sort of wondered how West Side Story is going to be. Like, if they're just going to change the lyrics to G Officer Krupke and it's just going to be an entire song about how none of these people have strong father figures. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, boy. Yeah. But, um, okay. I don't know. Uh, in War Horse, the horse is his dad. We're, we're getting, we're getting a little, little... Yes. I do want to say though that like one of the I I went I was down on Spielberg for a while um, because there was a point when I was like he it's just seems so effortless for him to make a handsome emotionally effective movie there was a part of me that was almost like it's like not interesting anymore but then I then of course like I got over myself and my cynicism and I was like, you know, if you see a guy who every day gets out there on a unicycle, sets himself on fire and juggles eight chainsaws flawlessly, it's not up to him to try to make that look difficult for you. You should always <laughs> just appreciate the fact that he can do it. Sure. 
Yeah. Sure. So I, 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 I've, I mean, I've gotten over that. Yeah. That's a, that's a decent analogy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bald analogy. <sighs> I didn't, I did just see that guy waking up every morning and just being like, I don't know why I do the things I do, but man, he like won the lottery three years ago and he doesn't have to do anything. He's like, I can finally do the thing that I love, which is setting myself on fire, getting on a unicycle, juggling chainsaws. What is, what is the, uh, what is the timeline of, of those things happening? Does he set himself on fire first and then get on the, the unicycle? Does he start the chainsaws first and then get on the unicycle and then light him? Like what's, what's, what's the timeline? I will have to think about that. I will answer it in a tweet. Yeah. I think, I think I'm going to have to tweet about that when I, when we, when we release this episode, um, we have been talking for a while though. I did want to say just, you know, in that kind of final way, like this is a, this is a super well-made movie as you expect from Steven Spielberg. And the music is just, it's so good. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. In this one. That, like I, well, it, it is, it yeah. is funny because this this film reminds me so much because you know it is a classic throwback to those those capers and to those kind of that era with like the full credits right in the beginning. You know, you, I don't, I don't, I think, I think it starts with the credits. Like you don't yeah, have the saw base, yeah, yeah, and so. Yeah, the Saul Bass, and then like even like the John Williams score, because like Erica, uh, my fiance, was like, "Who who did this music?" And I was like, "It's John Williams." I, like I didn't I didn't even have to look. I was just like, oh, I, know, "I know." Like it's a Spielberg this movie is probably yeah. John Williams. <laughs> it, it, it reminded and those pools me so of later, thanks to Janusz Kaminski. <laughs> I didn't mention that, uh, but no. Like as soon as I heard the theme, I was like, "This reminds me so much of like Jurassic Park in like just the way that it it kind of thrums through and and all of these notes and all of these kind of repeating motifs and yeah, like I I was just like ah." I love this music. Well, what's interesting yeah, to me yeah. is um, is that um, it doesn't feel like a John Williams at first because, like, I'm used to John Williams being like fanfare and horns and bulk, and this has that fun, yeah. super cool little woodwind instrument. Trill, it's a little, you know. I think it, I think it adds a little paranoia too. Like, there's a certain anxiety that's you know underneath. At all, yeah. I, apparently, where I've landed is now. Catch me if you can. Is it a fun movie? This is a serious movie about institutions. But uh, <laughs> yeah, great. Um, yeah. All right, Neil. Any final thoughts yeah. before we wrap up that you wanted to get out that we've we haven't had time for yet? Um, not really. I mean, the movies kind of does. I think we mostly covered like little bits and pieces throughout. And he was. Uh, yeah, got it. But uh, yeah, no, it was it's a it's a very very uh, packed movie, let's say, with a lot of interesting ideas throughout it that can get away from if if you because because it's so enjoyable to watch, it's easy to skip over how sophisticated this movie actually is. Yeah, it's it's almost yeah. like um it's almost like the performances and Spielberg's like you know jaunty direction like do a disservice mm. to like all the deeper stuff that could be thought just because you're like. So happy to just glide along on like the sugar coated rush of all the caper stuff. Well, no, I think it's, it's all there. It's just, and that makes it almost fun to play with those ideas. Cause it's all, it's all there. It's just, 
enjoy it's not so much a disservice as much as it's just it just makes it even more fun to watch i don't know yeah. that's how I, I think about it anyways. i think of it in the way that like people could watch this and never see those things because they're because everything else that's just pure entertainment is so well done oh yeah totally that's true yeah. too but I think that, um, yeah, I think I, this again, I've seen this movie more times than I can count because it is the type of movie that you can just turn on and watch like that. And yeah. it's still fun. Um, but also, yeah, those things are there. And as I said, this is the first time that I've ever thought about this movie in conjunction with like the Wolf of Wall Street and been like, I wonder. <laughs> so I'm glad we were able to uh, exercise that demon from. Oh, me. yeah, that's fun. Indeed. Interestingly enough, too, Williams and uh, Christopher Walken were the only thing nominated for Oscars in this, um, which is, you know, I, I mean, trying to find a logic in the the Oscars is a is a losing game, oh, but okay. still, <laughs> but still uh, fascinated that those are the, the two things that were, uh, you know, out. yes, thank you, Bill. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, but it is a, it is genuinely fun movie first and foremost, which is part of why it's so watchable. Obviously, all right. Yeah. Indeed, Frank's right? a good guy. I'm going to say it one last time. <laughs> I think Frank is a sociopath who never cared about anyone that he might have hurt, and I hope that Congress convenes wow. an oversight committee to see why the federal government. <laughs> allowed a terrorist like him to work under their umbrella um no i don't i don't and to make our security systems (laughs) i am sure that he will die unloved even by his friends (laughs) that is an in-joke for a tweet that existed for 10 minutes earlier this morning um yes that's it uh michael snydell what are we talking about next week oh well hold on hold on how many listeners do we have right now (laughs) uh that's a great question uh it looks like we might have one okay we have had peaks and valleys throughout the course of this nice i feel like it's weird because it right like right now it's 9 45 p.m eastern time right so like some people on the east coast probably like oof it's time for bed but people on the west coast are like oh man it's dinner time so i feel like this is just the worst possible time to record one of these and expect people to listen live (laughs) yeah but that's just what we do that's all good well we'll see people people will catch us when we hit their uh their pod feed platform I don't, yeah I don't, I don't know any of the terminology <laughs> related to the listening pod- of podcasts <laughs> we have been doing a podcast for like what is this like five years yeah <laughs> and, and you're like uh i guess they could listen to it on their devices <laughs> their <People. iPods. laughs> and everyone boots up their windows 2000 machine sits down opens internet explorer ms dos navigates to http colon slash slash www.thefilmstage.com when they dial in yeah no i mean that's the funny thing is that like i like i know that things apps that listen to podcasts like were for a time called podcatchers but i'm pretty sure that if i said that in the streets i would be shot by someone (laughs) (laughs) podcatcher (laughs) you don't want to catch that (laughs) that's the that's the next piece of ppe we're going to be required to wear when we go to stores (laughs) put on your mask wear gloves make sure you have a (laughs) podcatcher Oh boy, good times. Um, yeah. So let's uh let let us wrap it up. Um, Michael Snyder, what are we talking about next week? 
I don't, I don't know, Brian. Did you? I, I was gonna like just make something up in that time you were talking, but I, I really have no idea. <laughs> All right, well, we'll figure it out. We'll tweet it out. Hopefully, we uh, remember to do that because sometimes we don't. Um, hopefully, everyone who's listened to this has enjoyed it. Uh, if you have thoughts on Catch Me If You Can, uh, reach out to us podcastfilmstage.com or find us on Twitter at filmstage show. Um. But yeah, uh, we also brought to you by Mubi. Don't forget, you can get a free 30-day trial of Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. The Last Laugh by F.W. Murnau is on there currently, along with Beanpole and so many other things. There was another one that I saw. Oh, right. Dawson City Frozen Time is still on there. You have plenty of time to watch that. And that is a film that every time I bring it up, someone jumps out of the woodwork and screams at me that it's amazing. So I feel like I have to watch it. It's a good film. It's like a way to know if your internet is working is just to like open your phone and type the words Dawson City Frozen Time. And (laughs) someone will immediately reach out to you and say it's a great movie. (laughs) Again, 30 free trial. MUBI.com slash film stage. So that's it. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we are in their ears. Let us start with our guests. Wow, for some reason forgot there was a T at the end of that word. <laughs> oh, boy. Neil yeah, Bahadur, so uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you can just go to my Twitter account. You can find me on Letterboxd or whatever. Um, and yeah, you know, it's not very, very simple. Just search my name. You can hopefully dig through it in Google or something. I don't know. It's, it's, not, it's not hard. <laughs> in the show notes of this episode, on your podcatcher, you will find a link. Yeah. to neil's twitter so oh it's great okay yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right bill graham what about yourself uh you can find me trying to make sure my little french bulldog doesn't overheat in this texas heat uh on twitter at cable bfg and you can also find me uh mixing it up in the slack channel what's been going on in there lately guys i haven't I haven't been able to participate lately uh, we were. We, I was getting mad about Star Wars earlier. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Come on, Michael. It's Taika Waititi and the 1917 director or writer. Uh, spare writer. me. <laughs> mm, okay, I am. I am not excited about the 1917 writer, but everything else about that still sounds good. So, so literally, the one other thing that you know about it, which is Taika Waititi. Uh, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um I, like I loved that. that someone said that uh, Birds of Prey had fake violence, and I got to do my favorite thing, which is to point out that all movie violence is technically fake. I, and then I just logged off, and which is, life was better. One of my favorite jokes in Archer is is when Cheryl says that's a made up word, and someone says to her they're all made up, and she goes whoa. <laughs> that's good. And I, it's something I still say to people all the time. Um. Yeah, uh, Michael, Michael Snydell. Oh, wait, Bill, I have a Archer. question. What do you have to do <laughs> to keep a bulldog giving. cool? Like, do you shave them or like, are they bad at self-regulating their temperature? Oh, yes, very bad. Uh, any any flat-faced breed, so part of their uh, ability to dissipate heat from their body mm-hmm. is through panting. Right. And so if you have a flat-faced dog, they don't have a long nasal passage. And so because of that, they're not able to dissipate heat nearly as well. Um, And so, yeah, uh, you just take them on walks in 
at inconvenient times. So at like <laughs> eight thirty in the morning instead of whenever the fuck you want. So, you know, that way it's like 73 degrees instead of 84, which, you know, we, we'd make it down the street and back and she'd be like, yeah, I'm done. Like, like my, my, my poor dog will sometimes just like find a nice shady spot, like on our way back from walks and just like plop down on grass. And it's just like, no, I'm good. (laughs) This is, this is where I stop. And you're just like, oh, okay. And so you pick her up and she's 26 pounds of, of just muscle and she doesn't like being picked up. And so she'll kind of squirm around and then you put her back down and then she plops back on the grass. This, this has been Bill's corner of how to watch walk a French bulldog. <laughs> okay. So this reminded me of, and I swear to God we're, we're wrapping up, but do you have, did you all watch Silicon Valley? No. Yes, I, I have. Okay. So you saw the Gavin Belson thing. Consider the bulldog a grotesque monstrosity <laughs> born of relentless inbreeding. Riddled with sinusitis, crippled by joint pain, chronically flatulent, a kind pet or humanity's cruelest mistake. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I I went to the vet uh, when she was still a puppy, when quarantine wasn't happening. And uh, the vet there is fairly well known, like in the local community for uh, kind of specializing in uh, French bulldogs and just bulldogs in general. And he he saw my Frenchie and she was just shaking and giving all these excited little whimpers and, and just, just wanted to greet him so bad. And so he came over there and he was just like, Oh, you're so sweet. You're exactly the reason why people will pay all this, all this money and, and go through all this hassle because it's all about the personality. Like, yeah, <laughs> we do not give a shit about all their health problems and all this other stuff because they're just delightful to be around. So ain't that cute. Yes. Okay. Michael Snydell. Uh, what about yourself? <laughs> Where can people find well, you between now and the next time? Well, I just started a new podcast guys. Uh, uh, so yeah. a, a film stage spinoff called intermission, which will uh, be a one-on-one focusing on art house, foreign experimental films that are pretty much accessible. That's pretty much the only stipulation. Our first episode was with Ryan Swen. And uh, was about uh, Truffaut's two two English girls. I'm actually recording the next one tomorrow with uh, Scout Tafoya uh, about um, Melville's uh, La Cercle Rouge. And I'm not French, so I probably fucked that up. Uh, so yeah, that will be out later this week for Patreon people, and shortly after that for everybody else. And uh, I have a review of Driveways, the new film from Andrew on Spool, the Spool this week. And yeah, that'll be it. But please uh, listen to Intermission if you get a chance. Uh, Mm -hmm. Two English Girls is actually on Criterion Channel. I highly recommend it. Ryan, I had never heard of it before, but Ryan being uh, the person he has suggested it. And uh yeah, let me know if you hate it or love it. <laughs> Great. Yeah, yeah. Can be fun. Okay, cool. Yes, and I can be found at my personal site, BrianJRowan.com. Uh every Instagram, Twitter, whatever at Brian J. Rowan. Um, and again, if you could go to Schmidtspirits.com, S-H-M-I-D-T spirits.com. 
and give whatever you can to our GoFundMe so that we can help to give hand sanitizer to people who need it around our community. I would greatly appreciate it. But that is all for today. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. All right. And for some reason, the music isn't playing. So we're just going to say we're done. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what's going wrong, but at least it went wrong all the way at the end and not while we were still recording. Sorry. (laughs) 